As of Thursday night, Carlos Correa has not re-signed with the Houston Astros. Can top prospect Jeremy Pena adequately replace him? And there's a bunch of injured guys in this system. Are prospect evaluators really getting an accurate look at how good the system is? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked On MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, baseball writer for Sports Illustrated. Thank you for making us your first listen every single day. And as you can tell from the cold open, uh, this is a Houston Astros episode. I actually hopped on with our friends from Locked On Astros to talk all about this farm system, about Correa, about Corey Lee, the catcher, um, some you know some some pitchers, some outfielders, a lot of stuff. Hope you enjoy. I want to talk about the big three. And when I say the big three, I'm talking about Corey Lee, who's a stud catcher. Jeremy Pena, who knows what's going to happen with him? Because if Correa signs, Pena gets another year. Does he become a trade piece? Do they try to transition him? And then Hunter Brown. So with these big three, let's start with Corey Lee. Um, Tell me some things about his offensive game or prowess that makes him the top prospect in the Astros farm system. Yeah. So, okay. So what I love about Corey Lee, and we've seen this kind of going back to when he came out of college, he was a first rounder in 2019 out of Cal. Uh, but it's something where he, he finally has kind of fixed the issue he had of pulling the ball too much and just being all upper body. So, um, you know, he's always had good control over the zone. He can cover both sides of the plate. He can cover high, he can cover low, but up until last year, he kind of had a complicated handset, a complicated stance, and it was mostly just upper body. And so you saw him hit a lot of doubles, you know, just didn't see the power production. And I feel like sometime between, like sometime during the pandemic, he took that time and he really simplified the swing, took out a lot of the extraneous moving parts. And then he also went in there and, and figured out how to better incorporate his lower body. So last year, uh, 277, 340, 438, 11 home runs. He still pulls the ball too much, but it's better. It's a lot better. And so I, I, I feel comfortable saying he's got above our average power potential, uh, game power as of now, whereas before we were looking at you were hoping to get average power. In now, the right. Now, I remember when he was drafted, there was some question about maybe his lack of experience at catching. I don't know. He, I mean, how many years did he play at Cal? So he was, he was at Cal, I want to say two seasons. He was there for three years, but he wasn't a starter for okay. most of that okay. time. And I, I think if I remember correctly, that was the, you know, always going into college, you know, like um, we'll take a Garrett Cole, you know, Garrett Cole gets told by the Yankees, we're going to draft you. He's like, I want to go, I want to go to UCLA. He goes there for four years. He pitches, he earns his top he earns his top draft pick spot. You know, he marinates. And then you hear about guys that go to college. And a lot of them, there's a lot of Astros prospects I've talked to that seem to have limited game time. And anytime a prospect has limited game time when you're analyzing prospects, does that make you kind of raise a caution flag a little bit because there's a there's a smaller sample size and maybe the guys just got really good upside. That's why they picked them. 
Yeah, that's something where, like, for me, the risk profile is wider. There's more variance in his projection because we have such a smaller sample size. And obviously, kind of like you alluded to, you know, a, a crazy three week tear can absolutely change what your numbers look like when you have a smaller sample. And so, a lot of these guys, the big challenge, and this comes up a lot when I talk about the outfielders, um, but a lot of it is just we need to see more from them. And so, you know, and Corey Lee, a lot of these guys who were 2019, 2018 draft guys, like these big two were, also lost out on 2020. And so that's just one like less set of of numbers that we have to look at when we're trying to figure out who are these guys really. You're just counting on video of batting practices and you're trying to analyze things yourself because you can't see where they implemented their changes. Or they're making giant jumps because they made some sort of big change during that lost year. So it's it's made it tougher, but at the same time, it's also I've been surprised to see how many guys have come out of the pandemic with a big pronounced change for the better in their their body, in their swing, in their game. And he's one of those guys that definitely came out of it a little better than when he went into it. Exactly. So with him being in the Astros system, having someone like Martin Maldonado, someone like a Jason Castro, how much of an advantage, especially during spring training, is that for someone like Corey Lee to be able to sit under these guys who really, I mean, I could see Martin Maldonado being a pitching coach or being a coach in the big leagues just because mm-hmm. he is like the quarterback on the field. A lot of big league coaches come from catchers simply okay. because they have to pay so much attention to the entire game and not just their position and their stuff. But I mean, Jason Castro being in camp, I think is huge. And if you think about their kind of career path, both of them are California guys who were drafted to be catcher of the future. Castro's, you know, 14 years ago, um, you know, compared to 2019. But it's a lot of one-on-one experience. And hey, like, I know you're going to struggle with this because I did. I know that you're going to have trouble figuring this out. Or here's this lesson that I had to learn the hard way about managing a big league staff and and helping that number four guy figure out how to get through his five innings when he doesn't have a slider. And so like having somebody, having those guys in camp is huge. And that's why I love to see top prospects be non-roster invitees to training because they need that exposure. They need that experience. And oftentimes the teams and the Astros are going to do a great job at this. The Rockies do a great job they bring in somebody specifically to help some of these top prospects. Todd Helton was in for the Rockies because they have a first baseman they're high on. Jason Castro in because the Astros have a catcher they're high on. I love to see teams do that. No, yeah, that's, I mean, that is one thing that every minor leaguer that I have, I should say professional baseball player, because they are still pros. Um, every, every one of the guys that I've interviewed in the Astros organization has talked about the invaluable information that's imparted to them, that even though they're getting stuff through what it feels like a fire hose, they say, look, we're giving you the, all this information. We want you to use the stuff that's helpful to you. You don't have to use it all. And so that's really helped. And I know because he was the one of the models for the new Space Cowboy reveal, and I'm wearing the Space Cowboy hat if you're watching, um, Corey Lee, we will see him at Sugarland and a lot. And he is paired with our next guy. I think the battery of Hunter Brown and Corey Lee, we could be looking at a future battery tandem in the big leagues for a long time if everything goes well. Yeah, and and 
a lot of people in the the prospect apparatus, you know, the, the the websites, the podcasts, all of that, they talk about the big two for the Astros. And I'm a believer in Hunter Brown. Uh, and and the thing about Hunter Brown, I mean, fifth rounder out of Wayne State, and usually a three or four year college guy is not where you see your stud pitchers come from. A lot of them you get them as high schoolers, but he's a guy to me. His only issue really is the consistency. Uh, and and specifically, it's consistency of his arm action and his delivery. His his fastball, mid to upper 90s, he can hit 90. I mean, he can, he can shove, he can throw gas. And what I love is it has a lot of late life to it. And so he can elevate it. He'll miss bats with it. I mean, it's a, it's a pure swing and miss pitch. But then he's got two breaking pitches, you know, and the, the curveball especially, it's one of those those big bodied spike curveballs, low right. 80s. I think it's a great pitch. The slider, a uh, sweeping slider, it's an above average pitch. I think it can get to be a plus pitch where, I mean, he's going to have three major league caliber pitches. The only issue is consistency. He has this problem where he loses his release point. And so when he loses the release point, the, the body of the pitches change. And they look different and they work differently and they become a little more predictable. And so for him, the reason why I'm higher on him than a lot of people is because I don't think it's a lack of ability. I think it's just this one mechanical tweak that he needs to figure out. There's no like, this is how you fix it. He has to work through that. And so I think having a catcher of the caliber of a Corey Lee working with him every day in AAA, he's going to have a chance to figure that out without the pressure of doing it in front of big league batters. Right. And it sounds like it is possible, just like Mission Possible, um, Tim Tebow's new book. Are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Possible, written and read by New York Times bestselling author and athlete Tim Tebow, encourages you to find your inspiration, pursue your purpose and create a life for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life through this new inspirational listen. Mission Possible by Tim Tebow is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. And keeping with the with the I'm sorry with the Hunter Brown theme, um, I had seen an interview that he did like literally the first day he arrived at camp. Actually, it was minor league camp because the lockout was still going on. The minor league guys had reported, and he had talked about some of those very things. He said, "I you know I've got a top to bottom curveball. I've got to work on consistency. And when you say release point, it reminds me of a conversation I had with um, with a visiting fan about Framber Valdez. Um, we learned from Mike Stanton, who is a former big league pitcher, pitched with the Yankees, pitched with the Braves, had a, had a long career as one of our commentators, talked about Framber Valdez's biggest issue is his release point. And when he can't find his release point on his curveball, he gets wild. And it sounds like Hunter Brown, that is sort of the same thing. With him being so young and early in the process, I guess that's not so much of a concern now because he has time to work on it. If he struggles with that command, do you see that delaying his arrival to Minute Maid Park, or do you think they fast-track this guy regardless? So he's definitely a guy that can contribute at the big league club. I mean, if you needed him to throw innings out of your bullpen, he could do it right now. Uh, it's something where I think if you want to, you know, and, and maybe a situation where you use him as a reliever out of the bullpen – give him some long relief opportunities, things like that. If you have a need to use him this year, you could do that. I just think 
I'm one of those guys that says if you're going to start the, the the clock on the service time, you know, let them actually be doing the job you want them to do. So there's two different philosophies on that. You could use him this year out of the bullpen and then spot starts. But I think either way, even if he doesn't get that consistency, he's still a big league piece. We know enough about him to feel good about that. But I really do think that he can be, you know, a, a future number three for this team if he if he just has some time to work that issue out. Because you have guys like Bermudez at at Sugarland, you have other pitchers in the system. Where the good thing is, I don't feel like, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I don't feel like the Astros are in a situation where they have to rush him. I mean, unless they can, now, I know with Lance McCullers being out, I think that opens the door for Odorizzi, for Christian Javier, guys like that at the big league level. But they're not really in a situation where they really have to. I think they can give Hunter Brown several starts. One of the things I picked up on, and I don't know if you, I'm sure you, since you study the prospects more than I do, I love the fact that when I look at Hunter Brown pitch, that he reminds me of a young Justin Verlander. His leg kick, everything he does, he has emulated um, Justin Verlander because that was who he looked up to. He grew up in Detroit. And now Justin Verlander's on this team. That's got to be huge for this kid. It's another reason why I love these prospects, even the ones that you know you are. There's no way they're breaking camp with the big league team to still call them up, have them in spring training in the big league camp. Um, He's one of many players who I've heard say that they emulate Justin Verlander, but he's lucky that he actually gets to spend time with him. And I know Verlander's working his way back right now, but I do think that these guys are somewhat going to be tied partially because of how they look like. And then also depending on Verlander's recovery and how long it takes him to get back on the field is partially going to impact when you need Hunter Brown. Um, And as far as if you need him this year, or is it a luxury where you can choose to use him and let him get experience at the big league level. But yeah, watching him, there is a lot of physical similarities as far as their delivery, even to the point of Verlander struggled a bit um, with some of that same consistency of arm angle and delivery when he was younger as well. So being in camp with him is going to just do nothing but wonders to help him figure that last piece out. And in the meantime, get Christian Javier some start, some starts. Yes. I want to see this guy start. Yeah, no, that is a thing. And, you know, it's funny. I went back and forth because he actually ended up figuring out the bullpen role. I think he struggled at first because he didn't really know his place on the team. But, yeah, Christian Javier is very, very valuable. And I was like, look, if we're not going to use him to his full extent, at least trade him while he's valuable. I mean, if you're not going to give the guy innings, like let him go somewhere and be a major leaguer. I would hate to lose a Christian Javier, but that was kind of my thought last year. Hey friends, are you ready to discover your purpose and leave an impact wherever you go? Mission Possible, written and read by New York Times bestselling author and athlete Tim Tebow, encourages you to find your inspiration, pursue your purpose, and create a life for yourself that counts. Ignite a new spark in your life through this new inspirational listen. Mission Possible by Tim Tebow is available everywhere audiobooks are sold. Lindsay, I just want to thank you for um, you know for coming on. Um, you know, tell us real quick because I think maybe this is one of the first times that we've really gotten to sit down and talk with you on the show. Um, what got you into being a MLB prospect guy? Because that's not, that is a deep pool to dive into. <laughs> It really is. And and so I live in Auburn, Alabama, and I'm I'm blessed to have an SEC school and the SEC is full of great baseball teams right now. So are you an Auburn guy or a Bama guy? 
I'm an Auburn guy. Um, I got my. I, I, I got my. Say, I was just yeah, that. yeah. I got my MBA from Auburn. I'm an Auburn guy. Um, I married an Auburn family. That's the big one. But no. Um, so I've I've always been a huge baseball fan, huge MLB fan, and I got to know a lot of the players locally. Um, seeing you know seeing them come through, seeing other schools come through, and then we have a Double A affiliate of the Tampa Bay Rays just an hour up the road, the Montgomery Biscuits, and we had season okay. tickets to them as well, and so. Being around, I noticed I started paying a lot of attention to what the college guys that I met and talked to and worked with, what they did when they got drafted and when they went professional. And so I started following that more. And from there, it just kind of expanded into, I mean, everything, the business of minor league baseball, um, you know, rule changes, roster construction, prospect evaluation, all that kind of stuff just really, really gets me excited because it's really easy to be positive about it. Because you can look at a guy and say, well, here's what I like about him. And here's how he's great. And so it's, it's just rewarding for me to get to, to spend my time talking to these guys, watching these guys, and, and evaluating them and telling you all about them. So let's, so let's move on to the third of the big three. Um, let's, let's not delay because this man, Jeremy Pena, has a lot of buzz. And not just because of who he is and what tools he provides, but what is hanging in the balance for this young man. He is one of these guys that Jeremy Pena, if Carlos Correa is signed, because when we're recording this, we haven't heard whether or not he's signed, and we, the Astros are still pursuing him, then that changes his major league trajectory. Because you're not going to go, hey, I want you to platoon with Carlos. No, Carlos is your guy. But mm-hmm. if Carlos leaves, Pena, if they don't feel he's ready, I've already made the case for a Goodrum and Diaz tandem and using them when you know one guy with the right-handed pitcher, one guy with the left-handed pitcher, you know, vice versa, and then when Pena's ready, bring him up. Tell us about Jeremy Pena. Okay, so 2018 third-round guy out of Maine, which is you don't see a lot of baseball players out of Maine. Kind of interesting there, um, but no. So 10 home runs last year, only had 145 at bats, and that was kind of the issue there. Um, I think that was a. What was the injury? I'm trying to. It was it was his hand or his wrist, I believe. I was I was thinking it was the wrist. I couldn't quite remember. But no, so looked so good when he came back that they actually put him on the taxi squad for the playoffs, and then after that went to went to winter ball. But um, defense above average defense. I mean, I like what he does as far as he's got like he. Plus defense, one of the best arms in the infield in the entire system. And if you think about it, his dad, you know, Geronimo Pena, was a major leaguer for like seven seasons or so. And so it makes sense that he would have picked that up. He's got the instincts. He's got the makeup, the presence to be a professional big leaguer. But then offensively, he's he's really started to, to tap into the power. And that was the big question that we kind of had. I mean, it's he's always... He's always been able to hit for average, but in college he was kind of known as one of those handsy hitters uh, yeah. that that you know slap hitter guy. You could cover the whole plate, but he's not driving balls out. And I think he's made a little bit of a trade off as far as strike zone control and, and average to get more power, but he sacrificed a little bit of average for significantly more power. And he probably needs a little bit of time at like ideally at AAA maybe even a full season if Correa comes back on a one-year deal. But he needs a little bit of time just to kind of make sure that he's good in what we saw um, last year before the injury sticks. And if 
if that's the case, I could see them, if Correa is not part of this team, I could see him coming up rather quickly uh, and being the guy. I think he has the, uh, the, the mental makeup to be the guy. He's got the leadership, obviously the defense and the offense. And my proposal, I'm, I'm going to kind of surprise you with this. I don't think Uh-oh. you know about this yet. My proposal to fill the shortstop vacancy, if Correa doesn't come back, is somebody who's not going, who's going to be an asset to the ball club, but not going to block a Pena because he probably will end up getting hurt and not be available anyway, is an Alberto Mondesi, a trade with Kansas City. Um, it's something where I know Kansas City has to find room in their infield for Bobby Witt, uh, and they've talked about they can no longer they're not going to count on Mondesi anymore. So what if the Astros went out and got an Alberto Mondesi for cheap? Yeah, exactly, because he wouldn't garner that much in return, correct? Correct. Dayton Moore has actually said we can no longer count on Alberto Mondesi to be a key part of this ball club. And so my thought process is, best case scenario, he comes in, he stays healthy, he's the dynamic shortstop that you saw. Worst case scenario, he comes in, plays for a bit, gets hurt, and you call Pena up anyway. You know, and you could even have that Nico Goodrum and Alibnis Diaz tandem. You could have a Goodrum Mondesi tandem because Diaz is actually his worst position is actually shortstop, and Goodrum's best position is shortstop. Um, you know, like I said, one is great with right-handed hitters. One is, gr- I mean, right-handed pitchers. One is great with left-handed pitchers. Mm-hmm. Um, now, Jeremy Pena, with you know all the buzz, I remember when he arrived to Sugarland, it was like, oh my God, Jeremy Pena's here, and everybody wanted to go see Jeremy Pena play. Um, you know, he he had this little stint in in the um, in the what do they call it, the Lidome, um, you know, Dominican Baseball League down there, Dominican and- Winter League. Yeah. Okay. There you go. He was, he was, he was, he was down there playing and, you know, he, he hit a couple tanks down there. Um, does experience like that, is that good just to get reps? I know it's the Dominican league. I know that pitching isn't necessarily major league level there. I know they had like uh, Fernando Rodney, some guys like that, some older major league players, but does that help, uh, help a Jeremy Pena with the missing of the games because of the injury he had? So I think the big thing there is, one, it helps with all of the internal stuff, the timing, getting back into you know the physical groove of doing the swinging and everything, because he didn't get live at bats when he was on the taxi squad. He just was there in case of an emergency. But then also, you get that veteran aspect. A lot of, a lot of the players down there are either retired big leaguers who are still wanting to be involved with the game. I, know, I think Vladimir Guerrero plays all year round down in the Dominican still. Uh, or it's it's MLB guys who are from there who go back home during the winter and play to stay sharp. And so you can be around big league hitters. I think it's beneficial. It's not something I want a guy to do every year, mm. but I don't mind a younger guy going for the winter, especially somebody like Pena who lost, what, four months of the season because of an injury. It's good for him to get that experience in um, and then have some time off before camp to avoid some overuse injuries and things like that. And just just kind of wrap things up. How how you know wrap things up with Pena? How big was it or important was it for him to be with the Astros the entire playoff run? Just being in the clubhouse. How valuable is that for a young guy? It is it is incredibly hard to to replicate or to prepare somebody for the intensity of the playoffs, for the intensity of the World Series. Um, and and honestly, a lot of younger players they've never really had to deal with a lot of losing or a lot of you know adversity because they were always the most talented players on their high school teams or their college teams. And so having him around in a big league clubhouse day in, day out, having him deal with 
the thrill of victory and the agony of defeat, like that's huge. And that's experience you can't get back. I know I've seen guys who were taxi squad guys or um, bullpen catchers excited that they won the World Series, even though they didn't see, see the field. Same thing for him. He's been to a World Series. So the next time he goes as starting shortstop for the Astros, the moment's not going to be too big for him. Exactly. Or even when they had that crazy game in Chicago where the White Sox, like they had that massive crowd, they won that one game. And I mean, he got to see the ebb and flow, the victory of defeat and the thrilling, uh, you know, the, just the just the dominance of defeat, just how that could be crushing, but how the Astros were able to recover. Today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Rock Auto. There are so many makes and models of cars out there that it is virtually impossible to find the parts you need for your vehicle at your local chain auto parts location. So rather than going in, them asking you all kinds of questions and you having to run outside to go look at the car just to have them order a part for you anyway, stay home. Go to rockauto.com, save time, save money. Rock Auto is a family business serving DIYers for over 20 years. And prices are reliably low for every customer. And they have all the parts your car could need. You put in the make, model, and year, and they actually show you everything they have. If you need to figure out like a paint color, they show you where on the sticker to go look to get the code to figure all of that out. So go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck. Right locked on in the how did you hear about us box so they know that we sent you. Amazing selection reliable low prices, and all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So let's get back into, um, we're just going to talk a few outfield prospects. I know there are a ton. You and I talked before we we came on air um, here and started talking as, as a recording that a lot of the Astros outfield prospects have come up. A lot of the Astros field Astros prospects have made it to the major leagues. There are still some guys waiting, and there's an interesting name in in there that 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 we're going to throw in the mix. I don't know that a lot of people know about him unless you follow the Astros. Um, his name is Matthew Barefoot. Tell me about Matthew Barefoot and just what this prospect kid, what we can expect from him this year. Yeah, so he's a. A six-round guy in 2019 out of Campbell University, which, gun to my head, could not tell you where that is. Not a clue. But he he broke out pretty early last year between low A and high A. And then he he kind of hit a wall when he got to triple A. And that's usually where you see the biggest jump as far as the difference in the pitching is when you get to double A. Um, he's got a really sound offensive approach. It's a very simple swing. And his hand-eye coordination is, is almost elite. Very, very good hand-eye coordination. He's got... He's got power to hit doubles. It doesn't really seem like a big home run producer as of yet. And so that's something I'm waiting to see him unlock. But then defensively, plus speed, but he struggles with some of the reads and routes and reactions. And that's kind of what I look at when I'm evaluating somebody's defense is uh, react off the bat. uh, What route do they take, you know, and how do they read the ball? And, And it's something where I'm worried he may need to move to a corner. And if he does, because his arms average, I think, you probably have to put him in left field. And so he's in that that middle ground of he doesn't have the arm strength for right, but he doesn't have the power you typically see from a left fielder like a Michael Brantley. And so he needs to figure out one of the two. Better defense so you can stay in center or more power so we can put you in left and not feel like we're sacrificing part of the game. 
Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing I've noticed with, with power. I know that it seems like more times than not, minor leaguers, or I'm sorry, professional baseball players that I talk to, when they go through Corpus and they get to the Dell Diamond, they realize really quick that that is not a home run hitting ballpark. And Josh Rojas, and I, I probably said this where like people are like, you you said this story like four times, but Josh Rojas, when I interviewed him, is like two months before he got traded for Zach Grinke. He said he kept trying to pull the ball. He kept trying to smash the ball. Josh Reddick had come down, was doing a rehab start, a rehab stint. And Josh said, why are you pulling everything? Just hit it to that side of the field. Why are you trying to pull it? Just hit it where your bat takes the ball. Don't try to put the ball where you want to put it. Let the ball go where it's supposed to. And he said, when I did that, my average shot up 30, 40 points Mm -hmm. because I was trying to do too much. And so it sounds like if a Matthew Barefoot can learn how to harness that power, that that power will come naturally, whether it's opposite field or dead center um, off his bat, if he's got the power and the hand-eye coordination. Yeah, and that's something, that's one of those things where when a guy makes a, a jump to another level in the system, you either see... A, a huge surge of performance at the very beginning, or you see them slump off at the very beginning. They very rarely hit the exact same when they get there. And so that's an adjustment he needs to make. And double A has a lot of parks that kind of suppress offense a bit, which makes it hard to evaluate some of these guys. And that's why I kind of wanted to mention like the hand-eye coordination's elite. Like he's got the physical skills. The swing is simple and repeatable. It's just a matter of refining the approach, understanding what pitches he can hit and what pitches he can hit hard versus what he needs to lay off of and what he needs to just get a bat on and put it in play. Uh, And that's something that'll come with time. But I do feel like he can develop that power and can eventually be a Michael Brantley replacement in left field. Okay, yeah, and to to wrap up the outfield, because, I mean – we, we could probably sit here for hours and just dissect players. It sounds like you good. Look, I'm sitting here going, wow, I, I didn't know all this. Yes. Thank you, sir. Thank you, teacher. I, I'm like the student and you're the professor, but Alex McKenna, I love this kid. We interviewed him. Um, he recognized that his injuries last year really set him back and he was frustrated by that, but he, he to me has high upside. He has, he has potential to maybe make an impact, not just one position, but maybe even move around a little bit. What do you think about Alex McKenna? What is the key to his success in 2022? So two things I think for him. One is just stay healthy. Like you said, he had a dislocated finger. He had a strained hamstring. And it kind of, it it was frustrating too, because he's one of those guys that came out of the pandemic and he had worked a lot on his conditioning and his, his, his shape. And he was best shape of his life and all that stuff. And so for him, it's one, just stay healthy and play. And then huge exit velocity, tons of power. He just needs to, to, to avoid strikeouts. And so, I mean, he's got the, the above average speed. He's got good instincts in the outfield. He can play probably all three positions. His arm is average to above average, um, but he can play center. He can play left. He can play right. It's just, cutting down on the swing and miss and and that and part of that comes down to um being injured for so long and when you're injured and you come back you just your timing's not quite there and so i don't think he got a fair shake last year and if you look at his numbers i don't think that's really indicative of what he is he's got massive power potential he could be a guy who could play a right field and still be a power hitter uh he just needs at bats and he needs to not swing and miss so much and that's something that'll come back as he gets more time and again Corpus Christi really, really has a way of doing some guys there in Double A with um, 
making it hard for them to figure out offense as well. So may have been a case of doing a little too much. No, yeah, I I I agree with that one hundred percent. And with you mentioning his injuries and 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 that kind of holding him back a little bit, it reminds me of a player that a lot of Astros fans want to know about. And he's actually been making the rounds in the interviews here in spring training. So to kind of put, you know, to kind of finally wrap things up, everybody wants to know about Forrest Whitley. And I mean, you're the MLB prospect encyclopedia. Surely you have some in, or here's the thing. Forrest Whitley was asked, when are you going to come back? And he said, I'm eyeing an early to mid June return but I can't say for sure when that's going to be. We got up the doctors, but right now I'm feeling great. What do you think this kid breaks into Minute Maid Park and pitches off the mound in 2022? So I had him as coming back sometime in the summer, and I didn't quite have a time frame on that. And I think if it ends up being June uh, and he he gets to looking like the 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 promise that he was, I think he's a guy that that you could see come up. I don't quite know if he'll make it all the way to MLB unless it's the very end of the season as a September call-up kind of test thing. But I really want him to be healthy because, I mean, he's got a fantastic fastball. Um, his changeup is really good. And then he's got, I mean, a cutter that is that is that is good when he's healthy. We saw it before the surgery last year. It was a ball every time he threw it. Um, but a guy that has a ton of promise – and for, a, I think, a couple of years was actually considered the number one prospect in this system before the injuries kind of derailed him. I see a lot of people put him in the teens now as far as, you know, the 13th or the 14th or 15th prospect in the system. I still think he's a top 10 prospect. And I think once he gets healthy, um, 2023, I think, is going to be the year that uh, if it all works right on the rehab, he's going to be contending for a starting spot in the rotation in Minute Maid Park in 23. And see, there is there is a lot of truth to that because there's a reason why he has been involved in every trade talk that they've had since he's been with them, number one. And someone said, well, how can you say, because like I, I think the Astros farm system is deeper than what they get credit for. And here's my reasoning. I kind of call it the Abraham Toro rule. They traded Abraham Toro, who I think is probably going to be an everyday third baseman and going to be an everyday major leaguer. They let him walk. They kept all the other guys. Mm-hmm. That must mean that they've got quite a few back here that they feel like give them enough promise down the road that losing someone who is major league ready, they could have, you know, they could ill to afford. It was like most people are like, what are you doing? No, they can afford to. They wouldn't have let him go if there was nobody else in the system. So your final thoughts on the Astros system, where do you think they rank? Do you have an actual ranking or do you think, are they more middle of the pack than last, like they were last year? So I have them, I I do have an actual ranking. Um, I have them kind of around that 2022 range where a lot of folks have them, you know, 27, 28. And I think a big part of that is there's so many guys that have a lot of upside, a lot of promise that have been injured. I look at a Colin Barber. Colin Barber is a guy to me, has a lot of upside out of all of the, the outfielders. He just has played so little. Forrest Whitley, a guy that's been hurt. Alex McKenna, a guy that's been hurt. And so I think a lot of prospect evaluators and the prospect apparatus, uh, the, the prospect Illuminati, like to talk down about the Astro system because all of the promising guys are hurt. But I do think um, 
there's a lot of talent there and a lot of people who can contribute at the big league level and be the next wave of the next great Astros team. It's just a matter of getting everybody healthy and then getting everybody reps so that we can truly identify who has what skills and who is going to fit in what roles. That's awesome. You know, I am, I'm so glad that we brought you on. Um, Eric has been on vacation this week. And so I figured I would bring in some people that knew what the heck they were talking about when it comes to prospects, because Eric and I, we follow it, we keep up with it, but our focus is on the Astros. And so it's, you know, it's, it's excellent to bring you on Um, for those listening, even, even, even for those watching, tell everybody where they can find you. So I am on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. My show is on Twitter at Locked On Farm. You can subscribe to Locked On MLB Prospects wherever you get your podcasts and YouTube. And if you have questions about minor league baseball, about the Sugarland Space Cowboys, about your prospects, anything like that, email us LockedOnMLBProspects at gmail.com. We do mailbags pretty much every Monday, and I would love to be your second listen of the day. Awesome. Awesome.